0: Betches Media presents Betch's Moms, with hosts Aileen Drexler and Brittany Levine. Get ready to lock yourself in the bathroom, or wherever else you hide from your kids, because you'll literally never be alone again.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Betches Moms podcast. I'm Brittany, and today we are joined by Dr. Pooja Lakshman, who is going to be talking to us all about postpartum mental health. Dr. Lakshman is a psychiatrist and author specializing in women's mental health and the founder of Gemma, a digital education platform focused on women's mental health. Welcome, Dr. Lakshman.
0: I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Brittany.
1: Of course, I was really looking forward to having you back on since the last time we spoke, I was 32 weeks pregnant.
0: A lot has changed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. For those of you who maybe need a refresher on our last episode or who didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, could you just reintroduce yourself a little and tell us a little bit more about what you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I am a psychiatrist by training and I specialize in women's mental health. Specifically, I'm really interested in the ways that all of our broken social systems impact our emotional well-being as women and mothers. Um, And then on top of that, I, I have a couple other hats that I wear. I'm a writer and an author, a frequent contributor to the New York Times, and I'm working on a book right now that will come out in 2023 about the tyranny of self-care and I founded a company called Gemma that is a women's mental health digital education platform. Um, so, so yeah, I don't have a lot of free time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't seem that way, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Lots really excited to be on. here
0: and, and talk about, yeah, postpartum and mental health and and how you can kind of figure out what's going on for yourself and how to know if you need to talk to somebody or not.
1: Yeah. So we spoke a lot in our first episode about what postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression is. So we definitely like went into a lot of depth with that. Could you just kind of quickly recap what they are and the differences between the two?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So both postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are what we call carry needle, mood, and anxiety disorders. So you might've heard the term PMADS for short. It's, and it basically describes these neurobiologic conditions that occur starting at any time during pregnancy and throughout the first year postpartum. And of course, even when you're not pregnant or postpartum, you can have depression, you can have anxiety. But what we do know is that in a subset of women, the postpartum period in particular is much higher risk for developing a depressive episode or having anxiety. And when we say anxiety, an anxiety disorder that includes things like obsessive compulsive disorder, PTSD, generalized anxiety disorder, all of those things are kind of under the larger umbrella of anxiety disorder.
1: Right. And then in terms of postpartum depression, is that just sort of, into all that as well.
0: Yeah. So postpartum depression is, again, you can have depression when you're not pregnant or postpartum, but during this perinatal time period, there is a vulnerability to becoming depressed and experiencing a depressive episode. And the symptoms are a bit different and we can kind of get into that too. How, how right. the symptoms show up in the postpartum period versus other right. times in your life.
1: What does it look like?
0: Yeah. So, this is really important because I think for so many moms and so many parents, it's so hard to know if what you're feeling is just regular sleep deprivation and stress and exhaustion of having to, you know, keep a new human newborn alive. Um, <laughs> there's a couple different sort of important hallmarks to, to ask yourself about or to think about. One is when you're not able to feel any joy at all. So with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, both of those conditions completely rob you of your ability to feel joy, fulfillment, excitement, love for your baby. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had patients who feel no connection to their new baby you know, when you have a baby, you know, it takes time to develop a relationship, right? Because a newborn doesn't really do much besides eat and sleep and poop. So, (laughs) you know, it's not until like a couple months in that you know, they're like engaged and you're starting to like get to know them. So it is on one hand, it's normal not to feel like you actually know this little thing that you're responsible for. But with postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, there's like zero feeling, like you just have no moments of contentment or joy or love. So in a, in a kind of typical postpartum non-depressive state, like, yes, of course, you're going to have plenty of periods of time where you're exhausted, where you want to tear your hair out, where you're frustrated, but you should still also be feeling some moments of happiness. The other thing is, is your functioning impacted? Like, are you able to eventually get up and do the things that you need to do? Are you able to take care of the baby? Are you able to take care of your other kids that are in the house? Or do you find that your ability to do the things that you need to do is severely impaired? And I'll give you just an example of one of the ways that this the functioning piece can show up in particular for anxiety. So for example, um, with postpartum OCD, there can be these intrusive thoughts of something horrible happening to the baby. So I had a patient who every time she would walk across the top banister in their house, like at the, the second floor and like look over the banister, she would have these images, these intrusive, awful images of throwing her baby or dropping her baby. So her functioning was impacted because whenever she was home alone, when her husband was at work, she wouldn't go upstairs because she was so scared of those intrusive thoughts. So that's kind of like an example of like, how has your behavior changed? How has, have, has your actual actions changed? And that's when we know that what you're experiencing is more than just the typical sleep deprivation. And then the third piece that I'll say is kind of like how low are the lows? Like, yes, it's normal to have those really bad days, but on those bad days, it, is it to the point where you're thinking, you know, my family would be better off without me? You know, I, I just, I don't deserve to exist. Are you having those passive suicidal thoughts? That's a sign of depression. That's, that's more than just your typical sleep deprivation
1: when you say this is this more the extreme are there less extreme versions where a person is still technically diagnosed with postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression but it's not to the extreme where they're feeling these things so intensely
0: Yes. That's a good question. It absolutely is a spectrum. And that's why it's really important to find a therapist, to find a psychiatrist, or even your OBGYN, you know, have somebody that you can check in with and talk through what your symptoms are looking at. Like, because absolutely the situations that I described probably were more on the extreme side. And part of this process is like knowing sort of, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. What do I need to watch out for? Like, how do I know Mm -hmm. that this has gotten really bad and it's time for me to go on medication or time for me to see a therapist regularly. Um, But absolutely there, there can be mild, moderate postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, where you're having some of these symptoms, but it's not quite as bad. Maybe you're still functioning. You're getting everything done, but you're feeling really numb inside. You're not feeling Mm -hmm. any sense of connection with your family. You feel like you're going through the motions.
1: Right. And there's also a lot of talk about baby blues. So, what is the difference between the two?
0: Yeah, good question. So, the baby blues is temporary, it goes away on its own, and you don't need to get treatment for it. The baby blues typically starts around four or five days after you deliver, and it can last up to a month. Um it's I usually describe it as sort of like an emotional roller coaster like you'll find yourself just having mood swings crying randomly having rage randomly right like it's just a very much an up and down type of feeling if you're 2 to 3 months out and you're still feeling that it's not the baby blues anymore so usually it comes on pretty quickly after delivery and it should be getting better over time if it's not getting better that's a sign that you should talk to somebody
1: right One thing that I have heard about is, you know, a lot of this might be coming from an imbalance in your hormones, a depletion in specific vitamins. How do you feel about more of a holistic therapy of people doing hormone therapy or taking the right vitamins that they need to be taken after a blood panel test of what their body needs before actually moving on to an SSRI?
0: Yeah. So that's definitely um, a more controversial question in that people have a lot of strong feelings about this. As a physician, I am somebody who, you know, is just always wanting to practice evidence-based treatment. And right now there is no evidence for taking specific, you know, all these different branded new supplements and vitamins that are out there, I have not yet seen anything that would convince me to tell a patient to to take a supplement or some type of vitamin. We do know that for a subset of women, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are hormonally based, that some women are more susceptible to the big changes in estrogen and progesterone that happen during pregnancy and postpartum. However, it's actually much more complicated than just my hormones are, are too low or my hormones are too high. So that's the problem with kind of the recommendation to supplement
1: mm-hmm.
0: hormones in that just adding hormones isn't, that's not evidence-based either. There is a new treatment called brexanolone that is hormone-based, but that seems to mostly only work for very severe depression And it requires inpatient treatment, but, you know, researchers are working on um, a pill form of that. So I get really worried when I hear wellness companies and, you know, influencers sort of like really talking up some of these quote unquote natural solutions when there's not data there. The other thing is that the, the, the truth is there's no one magic bullet. For postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, even when you take an SSRI, you still have to go to therapy. You still have to try and exercise. You still have to watch what you're eating and trying to, you know, take care of yourself from a nutrition standpoint. So there's never going to be just like one magic thing that you do and then all of a sudden you're cured. So I I try to kind of dispel that myth of sort of the magic pill, whether that's an antidepressant or whether that's a vitamin. Right. Especially when it comes to exercise, because I hear a lot of kind of people say, well, like, you know, I just started exercising and, and, or I just got my sleep under control. And the thing is that when you're depressed or when you're anxious, the whole problem is that you can't, you can't exercise, right? That's the last thing that you want to do. Especially as
1: a new mother, like who has time to exercise or to sleep.
0: Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, so the thing that antidepressants can help with is that they help rewire your brain so that you can actually start to make the right decisions for yourself. And you can actually start to feel like it's possible to, for example, have a hard conversation with your partner so that you can try and get a four hour chunk of sleep, or maybe make the decision that look, um, you know, I'm going to drop, drop that pumping session, or I'm going to supplement with formula or whatever. Like these are hard choices to make. None of these things are easy things to decide for yourself, but When your brain is a depressed brain, it's much harder to make those choices because everything feels terrible.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well... you bring up, pumping and formula feeding. Is there Are there any type of statistics that PPA or PPD might be higher in somebody who decides to or to not breastfeed? Is there a delayed onset for somebody that might be breastfeeding and then stops?
0: Yeah. So again, another kind of controversial question, because there's a lot of media messaging around breastfeeding. And the the reality is there's no data to support that breastfeeding prevents depression or anxiety. That's just not true. I will say that the pressure to breastfeed really does impact my patients. And I think, especially with your first baby, I think a lot of women, unless they have a lot of friends already that have kids, they don't go into it knowing how hard breastfeeding is. So when they're having supply issues or when the baby's not latching, or any, like any one of the like zillion things that can and do go wrong with breastfeeding, <laughs> when that occurs, they're devastated, right? Cause you just kind of, thought, yeah. well, wait, I thought this was just supposed to be the thing that naturally happened. And then when it doesn't, it's, it's really a struggle also because the way that our kind of medical system is set up is you feel like you're to blame. You don't have enough supply. You haven't figured out Mm -hmm. how to get the right latch. Like you, everything becomes about you. And then especially if the baby's not gaining weight, that's even more stress inducing. So I really like to encourage my patients to remember that the choices that you make around feeding and also sleeping and your baby's sleeping, both of those choices have to be tied to your mental health. You're not doing good for your baby if you are a miserable mess who is breastfeeding exclusively, like agreed. that's not good for your baby. So again, it sucks, right? Like we live in a country where we're fighting tooth and nail to try to get four weeks of paid parental leave. Like (laughs) this is the situation that we're in. Right. And yeah, I think we kind of always have to remember the, those larger forces that are at play, like that are just working against moms.
1: This was actually my next question for you is how we're currently fighting for (laughs) paid family leave, which just seems so crazy. What are your thoughts on this and how do you think it's affecting women's mental health? And do we see any type of statistics that because we don't have enough time off, there's an increase in uh, mental health issues?
0: Yeah. So there's actually tons of data to support that having help, having social support in the postpartum period is not only, not only reduces your risk for postpartum depression, but also if you do end up getting postpartum depression, that it's less severe. There's also, there was a really interesting study that found that when dads were home for um, paternity leave, moms were prescribed less antidepressant medication. Wow. So absolutely You know, paid parental leave, childcare, both of these things are really like, this should be part of our healthcare conversation. It shouldn't be a separate box. Probably the number one stress-inducing thing for my patients is, yeah, like what, going back to work and figuring out how to manage the childcare situation. Like, you know, we've all seen this in the pandemic and even before it's a nightmare. So, yeah. So, so having that support in the postpartum period, and then when your kids are young, having reliable childcare is something that absolutely has been shown to improve mental health outcomes. And I think it's really, really tragic that we are in a country that has chosen not to value
1: that. It infuriates me. And it also infuriates me that when you listen to all this on the media, they try to make it very black and white about it just being about money. Well, do we want to spend money on this or not? And it's not like that. It's like, oh, well, do we want four weeks or 12 weeks? There, it's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it it really infuriates me.
0: Yeah. And there's, I guess the good news is that there is so much work being done by kind of advocates and leaders in the field who mm-hmm. really push for women's unpaid labor to finally be recognized and i'm a part of a bunch of different organizations that are kind of really trying to push this agenda because i think the pandemic has really shown just how much people in power in our country sort of took for granted the the fact that yeah. women would just you know step up especially women of color right minoritized women who always are the ones who end up kind of holding more of the weight and the burden, right? So I I hope that this will be the generation where people recognize that change needs to happen. But I guess the reason that it's important to talk about it in the context of this conversation is that if you're a mom who's listening and you're struggling, like just remembering that this isn't your fault. Like you have been, I know it's infuriating to think about, but hopefully it takes away some of the guilt or the shame because you have been set up to fail, right? You are living in a system that does nothing to support families and mothers. And again, it shouldn't be that way, but you're not alone in the way that you're feeling.
1: Yeah. And hopefully we get somewhere. Yes. We're still going to keep fighting. Yes. And something needs to change for sure. Yes. Kind of going back to the different, the spectrum of PPA and PPD, what would you say to a mom that feels like they don't need help or they don't have an actual problem because it's not severe and they almost have this feeling of imposter syndrome because it's like, well, I'm not, you know, at the most severe point. So I I shouldn't be asking for help or I shouldn't be saying that I have a problem.
0: Yeah. So that is, I feel like that describes so many women Um, and it's a tough tough question because I think I might answer it in two ways. I think there's the first answer is how do you cope with that as a friend? And then the second answer being sort of, how do I think about that as a clinician? I think Mm -hmm. as a friend, you never want to beat somebody over the head with, oh my God, you need to go to therapy, right? (laughs) That's not going to get you anywhere. (laughs) And you want to be in a position as a friend to stay sort of an open channel so that if things do get worse, that she feels comfortable reaching out to you and doesn't feel like you're just going to be like, I told you so, you know,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: women who are in this type of situation that you described typically are really, really scared. They're really scared about what is it going to look like to ask for help? how am I going to feel? Am I going to be judged? Am I going to be, you know, am I going to feel more ashamed? So if there's anything that you can do to kind of pepper in perhaps parts of your own story, like if you, let's say you've been to therapy or you struggled with this and you saw something that helped, or you did something that made things better, like, again, not with a heavy hand, but just kind of peppering in like, you know, here's something that worked for me and just making it sort of casual and loose, not like a demand or like that they have to do this thing to kind of Mm -hmm. keep the conversation going. Yeah. And then from the kind of the side of, you know, being a clinician and a psychiatrist with these patients, it takes time, you know? So here's the other thing, like, just because you come to see somebody like me once doesn't mean that I'm going to like You know, force you to take Zoloft, and you know, right? Like it's it's a conversation, it's a partnership, and part of this is finding the right provider, right? But us sitting down and looking together and saying, like, okay, well, like, what have you noticed? What's going on? Okay, maybe it's not that bad yet. Maybe we watch it for Mm -hmm. another month. Or like, what are your worries about medication? Let's talk through Mm -hmm. it. And like, at what point do you think that it would be bad enough that you might want to try this? I think people really worry that if they go to see a mental health professional, that they're going to be forced to do something. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that I'm, I'm not forcing anyone to do anything. This is a partnership. Like I want to help you make the best choices for you. And that takes time. Right.
1: Yeah, it does. Cause I also think, especially when you're going to see a therapist, there's a level of trust and sometimes it could, it's like going on a date. It might take three sessions to really trust your therapist to be like, you know what? I'm going to take their advice for real. And if they are telling me that I need medication, I trust them enough at this point to think maybe that's the right road for me.
0: Absolutely. This is the whole thing is really about developing a relationship with a
1: professional
0: that you trust. And a great resource for that is Postpartum Support International for folks that are listening. Their website is www.postpartum.net. Um, they have support groups. They have a state specific provider directory. I think it is really important, if you can, to see someone who specializes in maternal mental health.
1: I agree. Because
0: there just are so many nuances to what's going on at this time in your life that it, it makes a difference yeah. if you see somebody who specializes in this.
1: I totally agree with that. I also like how you responded from the friend perspective, because I think for a lot of people listening, maybe they're not going through this, but they want to know how to support somebody that is. And, um, or maybe it's both. So I think it's great to have both of those angles. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? that were submitted, let's get into some of those because they're really interesting to me. If you have an employee or a coworker returning to work with PPA or PPD, how do you support them?
0: So I think if they have disclosed this to you, one, it's great that they have because it means that they trust you and they feel safe in the work environment to disclose. A couple of things, I would say the, the most important being flexibility like really kind of letting that mom or dad, you know, whoever it is really kind of take the lead. And if they do need accommodations, if they do need a flexible work schedule, if they need to work from home or whatever it is, as much as you can in your power to really advocate them for them to have those flexible options. Um, I think communication is also really important, like making sure again, that you're kind of, as a manager or a boss, kind of an open channel so they can come to like, if they're struggling or if things aren't going quite right. And finally, I think it also really helps to have kind of a graded return back if that's at all possible. So kind of not throwing them back in the deep end, like right when they first come back from leave, but kind of ramping up and letting them take the lead too, to tell you like, you know, when they're feeling ready to take on more projects and things like that.
1: Yeah. In my episode with Shira, we had discussed that one way that it might help your employees, even if they're, you don't know that they're necessarily struggling with a mental health disorder upon returning to work to kind of treat them as a new employee and kind of think of them that they need this three month, time to sort of settle back in, maybe have a three-month check-in to kind of see how they were feeling, making sure they're not feeling overwhelmed, especially for a new mom. I think that being that I've done both, I've come back to work as a new mom and I've come back to work as a new mom of two. I think it's it was definitely more difficult coming back as a new mom because it was all brand new to me. So I think just feeling like in general having that support and knowing that at least your employer cares enough to like not be pissed off if you're not running at 100 like you were before you went on maternity leave.
0: I love that that idea of kind of having it be sort of like a new new hire orientation almost and kind of yeah. timeline. I think another thing that I know a lot of folks do sort of informally but I think it's great when it happens in a structured way is like having mentors or having a buddy, right. That's navigated it before, like navigated maternity leave or paternity leave. And that you can go to for little questions on the return back. And especially if you're, if you're like pumping and you're, you know, doing all these different things that having someone in your office, that can be sort of your go-to
1: for those questions can be nice. Yeah. I like that also. Okay. So next question is what's the actual deal with medications and breastfeeding? There's no real solid info when Googling all this stuff.
0: Yeah. So great question. So in general, kind of the, in general for antidepressant medications, things like Zoloft or Lexapro or Prozac, they are generally considered quite low risk in pregnancy and also in breastfeeding. So the amount of medication that gets transmitted in the breast milk is really, really, really low. So if you were taking an antidepressant during pregnancy, your baby's already been exposed in utero. So there would be no reason to worry about the small amount of exposure that could come during breastfeeding for postpartum depression, the first six weeks after delivery are the most seem to be the most vulnerable time. So it is, you know, we generally recommend that people stay on the medication, um, during breastfeeding.
1: Okay. And, um, kind of also related to breastfeeding have you heard of, I'm sure you have Demer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, what percentage of moms usually experience this and how do we deal with it? Like what's considered normal and not?
0: Yeah. So that's a great question. Demer actually is a condition that is relatively, the condition itself isn't new, but it's just starting to more recently come on the radar, kind of in terms of the literature and the medical community. So I don't think we have an accurate assessment of the prevalence. It doesn't seem to be as common as postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, but the thing is that people didn't know that it existed. So there's so many women out there that were experiencing it. So Deemer is essentially a, um, transient kind of feeling of sadness or grief or what we call dysphoria during milk letdown. So it happens. Yeah right. As you're starting to feed and it can, it's sort of like this feeling that washes over you. It's usually temporary. Um, and, but it happens every time you breastfeed. And so it's interesting because it lo- like the research is showing that demer seems to have a, a different mechanism or etiology from a brain standpoint. Mm-hmm than regular postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, you could have demer and, and not have postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. Right. So typically the treatment, like sometimes we will do SSRIs. Um, there's another medication called Welbutrin that acts on dopamine. That does seem, some research shows that it could be more effective for demer. But even before we would move to any of that, we would try more just like education and kind of sharing information about the fact that this is a condition and trying kind of more behavioral methods like distraction. Like, you know, when you start breastfeeding, can you like watch a little video or, you know, trying to kind of like take your mind off of what's going on before you even move to medication and kind of knowing and educating that it's, it doesn't mean you're going to get depressed. It's temporary. And for most women that just knowing that helps a lot.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I actually have this Mm. and um, my first pregnancy, i Didn't know it was a thing. So I, it used to worry me because I didn't know what it was. And now I know what it is. So with my second, it was totally normal to me and I didn't think anything of it, but I actually felt it more intensely. In the first like two months than I did after it kind of started, I would still get it every single time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm currently weaning right now, but I don't feel it as intensely as I did did in the beginning. Hmm. But I think being educated on it definitely helped me because I put a name to it and I knew that it wasn't going to last. I didn't think there was just something wrong with me.
0: Right. And you didn't think that, oh my gosh, this all of a sudden means that it's going to spiral into a
1: depression or something. Exactly. And mm-hmm. especially for me, somebody that's coming with a background of gen- generalized anxiety, mm-hmm. I spiral in general thinking about like, well, what does this mean? So it, it totally helped me for sure. Yeah. So I'm happy that there's more conversation around it. Talking about meds again, uh, there's such a negative stigma around it. So how do we overcome that?
0: I think talking, just having these conversations is huge. I mean, if we think about like 20 years ago, nobody was talking about this. Nobody was talking about medication and pregnancy. So I think every time, and, and I think that's one of the ways, actually, I know that there's so much that's wrong with social media, but I would say like one of the few things that's really great about Instagram is that people are open. You know, you can see that there's so many moms out there that have taken antidepressants and they've made a huge difference. Um, so I think just being open and talking about it, I think it's really important that um, on kind of the side of my profession, that there's better training for medical doctors on the safety of these medications. Cause there is still kind of a cohort of, you know, older psychiatrists who will still turn patients away when they get pregnant or say, you know, I'm not going to treat you anymore because you're pregnant. Just
1: infuriating.
0: Right. (laughs) So there's still a lot of education that needs to be done, like in the medical field itself.
1: Right. How do you know when it's time to wean from your medication after your postpartum experience?
0: It depends. A good number of my patients are folks who had maybe subclinical or even you know mild anxiety or depression before they became a mom. And the demands of motherhood pushed them kind of and postpartum depression, right? Kind of pushed them over the edge to needing medication. So a subset of my patients kind of feel like they are more themselves being on an SSRI and it actually was treating something that was there even pre-baby. So they decide to stay right. on. That's not everybody though. And so I think the most important thing is like recognizing. So typically we say you should stay on medication for like six months to a year after right. going into remission. After that, you should never stop cold Turkey. It should be kind of a graded process of coming down on the dose and giving yourself the time to see does your anxiety come back? Does your depression come back? If it comes back, then you know that you still need it. So it's not that really kind of a sense. binary thing.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, is there ever a moment where it's too long to be on I medication? Mean, yeah,
0: my, I do take patients off of medication all the time, right? I, I do think that it's good for everybody to know why they're taking a medication and know that the medication is working. So I I would say I'm an advocate for especially when it comes to mild to moderate depression mm-hmm. or anxiety every couple of years like really assessing to make sure that that you need to be on it that it's doing something. Yeah. It's a different case if you have, you know, severe depression and have become suicidal or been hospitalized, or if you have bipolar disorder, you know, there's exceptions to this obviously, but um, so that's why it's important to kind of find a clinician that you trust that is working with you in partnership so that you kind of can both look together sort of what makes sense for you.
1: Right. So last question, this is actually about the first trimester but I think it's a really good question. Having anxiety during the first trimester when it's about constantly worrying about a miscarriage.
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. And the first thing is anxiety during the first trimester is incredibly normal. So when we look at anxiety over the course of the pregnancy, first trimester, it does usually spike because again, there's so much uncertainty. There's the worry over miscarriage especially if you're somebody who's had previous losses, especially if you're somebody who you know, is a, going through infertility or an assisted reproductive technology journey, right? There's just so much uncertainty during the first trimester. Second trimester, the anxiety usually lulls and then it picks back up again, <laughs> third trimester because you're worried about delivery, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, so on one hand, it's sort of like, this is the natural course. On the other hand, if it's to the point where you feel debilitated, where you feel as you're getting closer and closer and moving along in that journey closer and closer to second trimester, if you're noticing that there's still no positive feelings and still no sense of attachment as you're moving closer to second trimester, then I would say that's a, that's a sign that it would be good to talk to somebody and make sure that your symptoms aren't reaching kind of clinical levels when anxiety during the pregnancy is not treated, that increases your risk for postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. So there's not like necessarily a magic bullet of like what of an easy thing to do to not feel anxious anymore. I think it's more just kind of like recognizing that this is a time period that, that you need to move through doing what you can to reassure yourself and also staying close to kind of trusted supports who you can be honest with about your fears, but who also can be there to reassure you as well. Part yeah. of this, I think also depends on the person who's writing in, you know, whether they have a history of loss.
1: Right, right.
0: So I would say when there's a history of loss, it is particularly important to catch any signs of anxiety or depression sooner rather than later.
1: Mm-hmm right? That makes sense. I think that's great advice. So before we sign off, do you have any information that you want to leave our listeners with?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was such a pleasure chatting with you. And I I love being able to share this information with um, your community. Uh, I am at, um, on Instagram at women's mental health doc and, Um, I have a book that I'm working on that'll be out in 2023, which is a long time from now. And my company Gemma uh, is a women's mental health education platform. And um, we have some big things in store. So I'll be excited to share about that soon. But thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Thank you for joining us. I think it's so important to continue this conversation and awareness. And I think like we were Saying in our conversation, just having the awareness not only for ourselves but for our friends and our family is really important. So, thank you for that. And that's it for this episode of the Betch's Moms podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow us on Apple and Spotify and to follow Betch's Moms on Instagram. And remember, there are no rules on this podcast. I'm not like a regular mom, I'm a cool mom.
0: The Betches Moms podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacy Wong. Social media by Brittany Levine. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow us at Betches Moms on Instagram. And send us your emails to moms at Betches.com. Betches.